And joining me today, it's it's Adam Myros. Uh Steve, why why you know you, why you're am an old I hungover? Man. You should be drinking in moderation these days. <laughs> no, I've, I've I'm taking a reverse course here. I mean, not that I didn't drink a lot when I was in my early twenties or anything, but uh, now that I'm old, I'm like, what if I drank more than ever? But what happens? Let's see. <laughs> I you know I, I that usually leads to like. You know, a decade from now, you'll be holding some fucking poker chip and telling me about how, how many days you're clean. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to push it until I hit like, I don't know, maybe like fifties. And I, I want that red bulbous nose that you get when you, when you work hard at it. You don't even have any like children to ostracize. No, I don't. It's yeah. It's really a waste. It's a waste of my talents. Uh, but yeah, I, I honestly, I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not that hungover. All things considered, my voice is hoarse. I was telling Jack earlier, uh, I, I was like screaming a Shania Twain song, maybe a little too loud and, uh, blew out my voice. So that's good. Got a little bit of, uh, I, I think it kind of gives you like a sultry tone. Wouldn't you say? Uh, well, you sound pretty digitized via the Skype. Anyhow, it's hard to say what, what's Shania Twain song, by the way. Oh, uh, man, I feel like a woman, of course. Fucking kidding I mean, me? Well, it's it's it weird. Be, that don't impress me much, you know? That's another classic. Every, everything's coming around, because just one. earlier this week, I was pondering the, the wonderful legacy of Shania Twain and how she just had that one album and released almost every song on it as a single and surely has never had to work another day in her life because the royalties off that must be phenomenal. Oh, dude. Whatever album she put out, it must have been like, yeah, like the late '90s or something. It had like ten singles on it. Yeah, it yeah, and it was every single song came out, and just the one album. And she, yeah. I don't think she ever released another one afterwards. So <laughs> I gotta imagine she's she's probably released. Yeah, yeah, she's no, she. I think she's she's probably put out like ten albums, but I don't think anybody like I don't think any of them sold a fraction of what she sold with that. But yeah, holy shit, man, all the hits. What about the uh, the cheater pop song? Uh, Whose bed have your boots been under? That's a little. That's a fun little ditty, wouldn't you say? Hmm. Uh, it doesn't strike a chord with me. I don't. I don't recall this. <laughs> sounds like a, sounds like real country to me. Uh, don't impress you much, yeah. Um, it's it, you know Shania Twain's great. Also, I think I, I could be wrong on this, so uh, you know all the Shania Twain super fans can come for me. I think she's like like a weird like conservative. Like oh, she's Canadian, but she's like. Pretty fucking conservative. I do seem to recall some comments about n indigenous people that like drew some ire yeah. years ago. Yeah, I mean but, she's yeah, a I country mean, she's, star. That's the safe <laughs> right. uh, career path, well, you know. And you, she's bulletproof. You only hear about she's it if they're not. It's no, like we're gonna hang the, the Dixie chicks high or something because they're <laughs> not. I guess. The, the the difference is is like like people you know people come they can come for the Dixie chicks or whatever, but uh, Shania's bulletproof because because the gays love her. Like she has their their protection they, they she can't be touched so i think she's yeah she's in good shape also you don't get canceled for conservative beliefs in the country music sphere it's it, it goes the other True. direction to be fair you don't, you don't get, the iraq war you don't get canceled for conservative beliefs just generally speaking uh unless you like well, yeah wow like virgin to like major extremism and then yeah sure toyota would <laughs> withdraw but that's that's about it there's loads of other people <laughs> behind him so it's it's all fine oh man 
What about uh, uh, the, the Stained guy? That's my favorite uh, country music. Just, uh, you know, transformation. Because you're like, oh, man, isn't it funny that Hootie from Hootie and the Blowfish does country music? And now it's like, isn't it even funnier that the, the fucking dopey guy from Stain that looks like he works at like an Amazon fulfillment place? Like, I mean, it's almost like songs about like, it's just like, man, remember what I used to be able to do slurs, whatever I wanted. Now you can't. What's happening to my country? That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Great. That's amazing. Yeah, so you see one I think is like the Screamo band Million Dead, and like their lead singer just became a folk singer. Like which you know, <laughs> but much smaller market because he's in England, so it's not, you know there's no there's no real money in it. But folk is a heck of a lot more as as, you know, kind of like you know, down roots kind of thing is as it is to country folk just seems like folk singers tend to be just more chill, even if they are super mm -hmm. racist. And honestly, most of the ones that you hear about aren't. They're just real chill to just, you know, <laughs> smoke some weed and just hang out, whatever, and write songs about barefoot ladies. Well, would it surprise you, Jack, that we're not actually talking about Shania Twain or country music or even folk music today? Um, sometimes for the show, we, we try to plan in advance, you know, like the Christmas stuff. I think we did a good job of, uh, kind of, you know, putting all that together in advance, but other times uh, a topic will simply fall into our laps, which is where we find ourselves today. And, uh, as is the case with many of things, uh, this started because Jack was watching a movie called dead bang. It's Christmas. Like, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it sounds like a fucking like Lost Bougarit film, but in fact, it is a it's like a cop movie starring Don fucking Johnson. So uh, then you got to ask yourself, Don Johnson, the king of the 1980s, he's doing Miami Vice. He's got Adam Myros's favorite hit single of 1984, which is of course Heartbeat. And oh, then, yeah. you know, he he goes on to do Nash Bridges in the 90s uh, and star in Adam Myros's favorite film in 1996, Tin Cup. And that's kind of what his legacy is. If you go up to someone and you say, name three Don Johnson movies, I don't think they could name one unless they said the 2021 Nash Bridges TV movie, then I guess that would count. But uh, yeah, he's not a guy who's known as like a, a film star. He's, he's always been a TV man, which is fine. But he was really in the industry for a while before he, he kind of hit it big with Miami Vice. Vice um, started in, gosh, what, what, what year was it? 83, I want to say. Does that sound about right? Sure. Uh, let me look at IMDb. I'm going to be really... Well, he did. When was uh, What a Boy and His Dog? That was like his, his big... Yeah, first that role. was like that was like his one big first film role, basically. Uh, yeah, Miami Vice, 84, 84. So 84 to 89 is like, that's like peak Don Johnson, essentially. He had a boy and his dog in the 70s. But other than that, like that was his only, uh, I, I guess, film of note. And so he really didn't hit it big until he was in his mid-30s, for the most part. Uh, I will say... If you uh, want to watch a piece of shit movie, but see Don Johnson's dick, uh, there is a movie called The Herod Experiment, which falls into one of my favorite subgenres of film, 
which is <clears throat> people trying to make like free love, summer love, hippie movies, but like two, three, four, five years too late. So it's about a fictional college where uh, like all the guys and girls, like they have, they have like co-ed roommates and they all like, I don't know, touch each other's butts or whatever. And uh, yeah, Don Johnson hangs dong full frontal. So uh, yeah, I, I, you know, go, go to Mr. Skin if you want, or uh, watch, watch the movie. If you, you know, really, you want that anticipation, that build up to that Don Johnson, uh, Johnson, if you will, it, it's there for you. But anyways, in between, uh, after Hanging Dog, but in between his success with Miami Vice and his, his brief music career and then into Nash Bridges, he kind of tried to make a little bit of a transition <clears throat> into the world of, of action films, so to speak. And uh, honestly, and I didn't think I'd be sitting here saying this today, I think he didn't get a fair shake. Don Johnson? pretty fucking good right i agree i it, it's interesting i i couldn't have told you he starred in tin cup because that would involve me watching tin cup but you know costner's the guy who came to mind with a lot of this i'm like don johnson should have had kevin costner's career yep <laughs> they're like 100%. similar except for don johnson is good i mean in reality no one should have kevin costner's career because that would involve starring in many films that no one should watch, but uh, he should have had the success, I'll say, uh, the opportunity yeah. that Costner did, because he's uh, in many ways, they, they both are, are going for that really sort of sexy dad vibe. And uh, I got to tell you, Don Johnson's a hundred times better. He's he's yeah, a little he's a, he's a little dad. smirkier and he's a little sleazier than than Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner not being sleazy at all, famously, uh, for, which makes his career even more confusing because he does seem to be just completely clean cut corn-fed dad yeah. throughout, and yet was, like, earning $20 million in the early 90s when even Tom Cruise wasn't pulling in that much money. Absolutely insane. I don't, I cannot explain the phenomenon of, of Kevin Costner. I feel like it must relate yeah. to baseball. Somehow another sport, I don't know, like, it's just an American enigma to me. Somehow these things interrelate <laughs> to me. Um, I mean, I, I think the the big thing was fucking Dances with Wolves. That that was just such a goddamn phenomenon. It was like, it, it, yeah. I, I don't know. that The genius behind that really needed to get paid blank check after blank check. To, <laughs> but to he, got, he fucking... got to make Dances with Wolves. Like, they were like, sure, Kevin, let's we'll make your four-hour-long movie. And it's like that. Oh, well, it was a good decision they made they made a ton of money back on the, the thing i i have no idea why it's it's barely a functional film but uh you know your grandma loves it i guarantee yeah 100 <laughs> percent. I, I think the thing with with don johnson is that he is um i'm trying to think, like he's he's kind of like all the three of these movies lean into stereotype real heavily and yet are also very distinctive and odd films and it's a really, really fascinating run he had in this late 80s, early 90s. And it didn't really pan out because, as Steve mentions, he ended up really going back to Nash Bridges, which is people my age certainly far more memorable uh, than than these movies are certainly far more talked about than these movies. Um, I'm, I'm amazed. I like these watching these. I'm kind of like, well, the hotspot I knew of previously. The other two, I'm kind of like, I'm how did I not see these? 
a dozen times growing up. Like they just they <laughs> like see. you knew of the hot spot. Yeah, probably they, the most yeah. obscure of these. I think you just learned about it from Mr. Fucking Skin. I didn't. No, no. But but <laughs> I, I let, let me just say, I mean, it's got Jennifer Connelly in it. So when I found it on Irish TV one night, I certainly watched it. I never saw all of it previously. Not a bad movie, frankly, but uh, I mean, maybe maybe we should start off by talking about that because it is kind of the outlier, if you ask me. Uh, but really, it's it's you know it's directed by Dennis Hopper, so I, I'm interested. And uh, it, it asks a simple question, which is, you know, if you're a drifter and you have a choice between uh, banging Virginia Madsen or banging Jennifer Connelly, who do you choose? And that's it. That's the whole movie. There's a bank robbery. In there yeah, this is this I mean, is basically uh, it's basically Sophie's choice, but for men. Um, you know, yeah, he, this is Sophie's yeah. choice for the boys. <laughs> they should put that on the poster. Uh, would would yeah. pull people in. Uh, yeah, it's it's um, yeah, it's funny as you mentioned Adam because yeah, this is the one I knew about previously, just probably through a happenstance encounter with it on television. But you're right, it probably is the least commercially successful of these films, maybe. And Hopper was always volatile, uh, and he's fairly restrained here I think because certainly compared to like things like the last movie like his, his infamously deranged productions this is kind of meandering and a little bit indulgent in its its neo-noir tropes but it's it's a pretty straightforward film it's not doing anything insane it's not got like he didn't build a city or anything he, he you know just kind of settled into the Texas heat and shot a bunch of sweltering sexy doom laden stuff yeah, that's it. Is a sweaty movie in every respect. The uh, hot spot. Mm. I uh, I don't know what to think of it. it. It's certainly not what I expected. I, I'm trying to think of like what to compare it to. Like you can kind of tell, like, oh yeah, Hopper was working on uh, Blue Velvet around here, <laughs> and yeah. it's not Blue Velvet. It, it's not really like so. According to the a, a deep. Yeah, according to the the story on this is that originally Mike Hodges was attached to this film and he there was this completely separate script. There was a heist movie and everyone had signed on to make that movie. So I guess I should probably retract my thing about Dennis Hopper not being, you know, on one. Uh, he was, absolutely, but prior to going into production. Uh, and apparently Dennis Hopper decided to pull some kind of a fast one along the way and just uh, handed everyone a completely different script that had been prepared based on a 1950s crime book that he just really liked. And he's like, we're actually going to make this movie instead. Now, I don't know how much truth there is to that, considering all the roles line up and the casting had to be done and everything. I, I don't know. I feel like it's probably that's flattening the story a bit, but it sounds like Copper certainly came in with, you know, he was interested in this specific story and he maybe argued to get the 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 project change around which i guess hopper probably had the the clout to do in the 90s still he was still respected mm. even if he was pff, still being erratic <laughs> but he is scary sure I, w I wouldn't mess with the guy yeah it's just such a strange like, yeah it's such a strange uh movie because really it's like we're introduced pretty early on to like this uh drugstore novel conceit like you know jennifer Connelly's characters reading through one and you're like yeah well that's what this movie is doing it's absolutely a fucking uh a drugstore noir and but it's just like hopper's approach is is what distinguishes this um 
because it's it's such a bizarrely languid film like the pacing on this is probably not what most people are looking for when they want to watch a, like a pulp novel adaptation. yeah it's it's very curious i mean if we talk about neo-noir and you know that kind of moving on of of noir sensibilities porting it into full color and i think this is a very very worthwhile film to watch within that vein but i mean most film noir was like 70 to 85 minutes long a lot of it there were a couple that crept up to like 100 minutes because they were getting real fancy with it this is 130 minutes long this thing's like two hours 10 minutes and it seems to you know absolutely just revel in just kind of meandering around the possibilities of these characters and the kind of sleepy texas watering hole they occupy um it's also a very funny film from a southern perspective too because i mean it's it's basically uh, Don Johnson uh, is, isn't really trying to pull on much of an affectation, but like Virginia Madsen and Jennifer Connelly are both doing their little Southern drawls. Uh, being, and not very well. Yeah, no, it's, no, it's coming from, chi- from Chicago and uh, New York, respectively, are cast as, as Southern bells of some some strain or another. It's it's a really odd film, but it's also, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's an odd film in that it feels like the kind of film that doesn't exist anymore. It's sort of a, mm-hmm. a great kind of meandering Americana experiment that seems, you know, very conscious of film history and lore and just kind of leading in happily kind of incorporating cliche where it needs to just kind of, you know, enjoying the spectacle of this like wonderful like Virginia Madsen kills it here just as this just horribly nasty uh femme fatale who she says uh, Dennis Hopper uh, wrote the character I don't know if, if Hopper's credit is writing the script or maybe just the, the script he handed her but she said there was a phrase attached to her script that described her introduction introductory scene described her as a a like fresh peach just on the verge of like rotting and that was like that that, and that was like she you know her her whole thing was to realize that that's what she is she's like absolutely this beautiful sexually magnetic woman who is just about realizes she's on the term where she better leverage this stuff all now because you know it's downhill on the other side and she is certainly she has expectations of what she wants from life, you know, and that's that's the film, right? She's she is going to manipulate everybody uh, to get what she wants. Um, and spoiler alert, it works very, very well for her. <laughs> uh, yeah, fair enough. It's yeah. I, I mean, it sounds like critical of accent work, but it, it all feels kind of intentional. Like there's there's a great deal of artifice in this film. Like it, it feels very stagey. Uh, mm-hmm. The accents are not, they don't detract from the performances. I think the performances are uniformly excellent, including Don Johnson. Um, and it's just got such a strange vibe to it. It, it does at times feel kind of lynchy. You can, uh, again, it, it's not surprising that it's shortly after Hopper worked with him. And it also, again, I, I'm trying to think of like things that this reminded me of a little, and it was I, I at mean, times very reminiscent. And what, what I honestly landed on was probably blood simple. It's not the closest, but it's, that's a lot more of a taut thriller. This thing is just kind of like, yeah, it, it's such a, I, I really quite enjoy it. And I think it's a very well-made film with a lot of magnetic stuff in it, but it's also kind of difficult to recommend because it, it is so yeah. disinterested in like, thrust 
it, it's narrative so, is almost non-existent at times. <laughs> the the movie that I kept <clears throat> thinking of with this was actually I I kept going back to Tough Guys Don't Dance, um, only because of like you know the artifice and and you know all the neo noir trappings. But obviously that's like Tough Guys Don't Dance is just you know, fucking pedal to the floor insanity. Uh, whereas this is much much hazier, but it still is on that kind of like weird stagey uh wavelength i guess uh but yeah i i, I don't know I, I agree with you myros like this is i'm not like oh god i'm so pissed that i had to watch this for the podcast oh god but i i it, it, as much as i enjoyed it i was like i i don't i don't think i could recommend this to anybody like oh here you know it's saturday afternoon why don't you throw this on not probably not i <laughs> uh if you're gonna yeah, watch 130 uh, minutes doesn't help there's there's times no, in the, the, the back half of this where you're like all right let's, <laughs> let's yeah the narrative the is up. good enough to to sustain about half of that and then yeah. uh, also the exact same year i think dennis hopper did catch fired if you're gonna watch a dennis hopper movie i'd probably watch that one i don't know uh one of my favorite things in this though again dennis hopper scary lunatic man uh he did an interview with the guardian about uh, this movie and uh, they were talking about working with Don Johnson and he said quote he wasn't that bad he has a lot of people that work with him he came to this film with two bodyguards a cook a trainer a helicopter pilot that he comes to and from the set in, in the helicopter because he's a very glamorous guy uh, he's got two drivers a secretary and his own hair person oh and his own makeup person and his own wardrobe person so when he walks on set he has five people with him so what I get from that is Don Johnson is high maintenance, but also Dennis Hopper can't count. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> just bring all of them don't go to the sash, you know, it's just <laughs> it's like, what? Sure, man. Sure. I mean, it uh, must be yeah, Don must, Johnson rolling deep. It must be weird to come because, I mean, it, it is worth noting at this point. I mean, Miami Vice was huge, right? I mean, it's really mm. funny how the demographics things have changed because, I mean, I was someone pointed out at one point that like the highs like the highest highs of like viewership for game of thrones are like not as much as just people who tuned in every single week for an episode of miami vice like just the the and obviously it's not a it's not a level playing field everything's changed streaming all this stuff but you know just the the miami vice was just this incredible artifact cultural artifact Everyone watched it who could. It was huge. Don Johnson was the coolest dude in the world that, you know, and for like five years or however long it ran. I mean, that was that was, you know, living good and, and iconic. But to try and come out of that to do something else was it is it's a really tricky thing. It's like John Hamm from Mad Men. I mean, where he seems absolutely mm -hmm. perfect. Like John Hamm is Don Draper. You cannot consider anyone else in that role. And since then, John Hamm has been just John Hamm in a bunch of movies that no one talks about to the most part. There's, you know, a couple of bright spots here and there, but uh, mostly, you know, the latest Fletch movie seemed like the first one. It's like, maybe maybe this could work as a thing for him. I mean, you know, and he's a very handsome man. He's a very fine actor. He, like, he's very charismatic. It all seems like it should work, but he can't mm -hmm. break into movies. And Don Johnson, um, obviously similar similar issue and i think he took some pretty big swings here um you know dennis hopper is certainly he's a big name and everything but i mean making this super sexually charged 90s movie um you know and with dennis hopper certainly is, is a you know not box office guaranteed so 
uh, yeah, I kind of, yeah. I kind of got to respect it here. He he seemed like he he didn't just you know take the easiest option he could. I think he really took some unusual routes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and it it sucks too because uh, Dennis Hopper actually blamed Don Johnson and Virginia Madsen for the film failing at the box office. Uh, but I I mean I think they're both fantastic in this, and he said primarily because they didn't promote the movie. Uh, but Don Johnson was shooting uh, Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, uh, with Mickey Rourke, who was originally going to star in this film, I guess. That was like Dennis Hopper's pick. But uh, anyways, so Hopper said like, you know, oh, Don Johnson didn't promote it. And then Virginia Madsen didn't promote it because she was embarrassed by the amount of nudity that she like is, is shown of her, basically. So Which, yeah, which is, yeah, which is weird because, I mean, she had a, body double for sections of it but um i don't know the the, the nudity thing um because she's great in this i think this is such a fun role and oh, she yeah. absolutely just eats the whole thing up she's she's amazing much more so than, i mean jennifer connelly's playing much more the virginal straight character in the movie um yeah with a little with a little twist there's a little little lesbian thing thrown in that's not really expounded on particularly uh, convincingly. I think, pro- I, I don't know if that was in the original book and for the 50s, but I'm sure it probably seemed a lot more uh, like, oh boy, back then. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's funny to, to think this film, it, you know, yeah, okay, maybe it didn't do so well. And it's, it's you know, I mean, probably the reason it didn't go do so well is because it's it is pretty steamy stuff for the early '90s. Uh, I'm not sure if a lot of TV stations were were lining up to to put this in, um, and it's and like we said, it's it's not very thrilling necessarily. Yeah, I mean, it, why would why would you think this would do well? It's not like who the fuck is this for, really? Like it's really it's really funny. It's for Cinemax at 3 a.m. in 1995. Yeah, just, I mean, it is absolutely it's for Mr. Skin uh, downloads among other things. But yeah, I mean, it's it's really funny that you know Don Johnson rolls up into town, just gets himself a job selling cars, used car salesman, obviously the backbone of America, uh, and then uh, you know walks into the bank and Jack Nance in this movie playing the weird. <laughs> Just like little little weirdo gremlin dude, uh, just kind of fidgety, weird sex pervert bank manager. He spends all his time at the strip club when he's not at the bank on his own, and just kind of just tells Don Johnson all about the weaknesses in the bank security. And then once he realizes he's done that, just kind of jokes him. It's like, well, it's just well, you're not a bank robber, which of course gives Don Johnson <laughs> a great idea. Um, it's it's like, but you know, if if this did start as a heist movie, the heist in this is uh, almost non-existent. He, you know, there's there, he builds a little contraption to start a decoy fire um, elsewhere in the town. That's about it. Other than that, he just walks in and ties Jack Nance up and takes all the money and leaves. It's not a very advanced like Jules Dassin Dassin would 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 not have done this. Uh, he would he would have put in a few other extra steps. Michael Mann would have put in slightly more details and hurdles in it this is very much just kind of like man walks into bank takes all the money and walks out of bank puts it in the trunk of his car leaves yeah he doesn't even spend the money just (laughs) buries it (laughs) and uh just yeah that's kind of the end of that i guess he uses it to frame a man eventually but yeah i mean that that's a funny thing about the film i mean ultimately in its its noir tone is is that it's kind of this inescapability of of 
bad consequences. I mean, once he gets tied up with Virginia Madsen, he's doomed. The second he he answers that call, he's done for, which, you know, obviously, this is a mainstay of the whole genre, and it's really funny that towards the end of the film, he's literally trying to offload his stolen money, his path to freedom, just so he can leave town with Jennifer Connelly, who's all lovely and wonderful and not corrupted yet. He's, you know, he he's the corrupting influence at that point, and he does ultimately <laughs> kind of ruin her life as well, along with every everything else. Um, you know, it's it's got all those great intonations, but it is, as we say, just kind of like wanders around a lot. William Sadler is great in this like weird country, like sleazy bumpkin role. Um, and it just kind of like wanders in here and there. Like there's a bunch of just great performances throughout this. Um, but yeah, like you, a, a judicious editor would probably like cut 40 minutes out of this easily, you know, just like sharpen up the story, do all this stuff. And, and it wouldn't make a better film. It would just make, it would make kind of a much, it would make a different film. Yeah. Make a more profitable mm-hmm. film. Probably. probably. I, I, I quite like the pace of it. There's like certain decisions that Hopper makes that I think are really interesting and pretty inspired. The whole scene with uh, Jack Nance, like wandering around outside the strip club when (laughs) Virginia Madsen and Don Johnson are in the back of the car. And it's like focused on these fucking signs and this like really blinking light bulb noise is, is dominating the screen. It's just, not anything I've seen before. And I was like, it's, well, this is fucking fascinating. Yeah, it's it's a it. really cool kind of like vision of, yeah, I mean, it, uh, so much of noir is character driven. And, you know, the, the environment plays into the character. There's kind of like this, this fatalistic more, all every shadow, every light source is always pointing towards kind of exacerbating the doom of the characters. And, and Hopper does kind of just kind of pull back a little bit and just kind of like, Let's look at the shitty Texas town we're in where there's nothing to do, where honestly the doom is almost like a, you know, not only inevitable, but probably just a welcome change of pace from just living here. Like, was there any hope for Don Johnson when he shows up? And there's no explanation of where he was prior. He just rolls into town one day um, and no no previous explanation whatsoever. And it's just like, what what else are you going to do? You're going to you're going to look for women you're going to try and get rich quick and it's all going to sour real quick because there's <laughs> nothing else here. It's a dead place. It's a fascinating movie and a fascinating choice as, as someone who's trying to maybe branch out into films. But uh, I guess we could talk about the earlier one, which is, is probably a lot more logical jump from uh, Miami Vice. Certainly, certainly is, on oh, the page absolutely. logical, <laughs> at least. <laughs> Yeah, you, you're going to work with uh, John Frankenheimer, right? This will be an easy path to film success. Exactly. And it should be, uh, except for the title. I think the title sinks this one. It's called Dead <laughs> yeah. Bang. Um, it shouldn't be called Dead Bang. Do not know where that, that has no. nothing to do with it. No one even said, oh, no, they do. Sorry, oh, they at do. one point it's, they uh, do. They, they do. The, it's like the, it's at the very end. Yeah. Yeah, which doesn't, it's, it's like, he's you dead, could, bang. You could remove that line and nothing would change you and just change it to, I don't know, like Nazi cop or Nazi hunter or something, you know, yeah. uh, you could do any manner of things. But yeah, I mean, on page, this is paper. This is John Frankenheimer, the king of thrillers, the like the absolute American genre royalty, you know, granted by the 80s, he's not doing his absolute key iconic stuff. But I mean, he's still John Frankenheimer. The man knows he knows mm-hmm. how to build a scene. Don Johnson playing a 
a <laughs> recently divorced restraining order against him, L.A. cop. You know, it, it writes itself. We all know it. We, you know, like, I can just say that. It's made in 1989. Don Johnson, it opens with him reviewing the restraining order his wife has put out against him. You already know what the music sounds like. You already know what this film <laughs> is. You know, the sad, in your head. Yeah, you, it's, it's all there. It's a total cliche, completely. It's, you know, but like very entertaining, very watchable. They throw in even, it's, mm-hmm. it's Christmas. You know, this, this, is, this is literally a Christmas movie. It takes place pointedly over the kind of a period of time over Christmas. We see the Goodyear blimp in the opening sequence, wishing everyone a Merry Christmas. And then the camera like goes down travels down and then slowly dissolves into traveling down the close-up of a man's inner forearm to reveal his ss nazi tattoo tattoo and you're like oh yeah this is a john frankenheimer movie and this this thing's gonna rock yeah. like within within a minute i knew this movie was gonna gonna rock right and it, and it does again don johnson doing great work here because as we mentioned it like it leans into cliche to set all this stuff up to go okay it's a it's a cop movie it's about cops punting nazis who are bad guys all right let's go and then by the end of the movie you're like oh shit this is still like this is a film that i kind of like spotted some problems in america and they're still problems um Cool. So, um, yeah, so it's, maybe that's why no one talks about Dead Bang alongside oh, the title. They should talk about it. Everyone oh, should be talking about this movie. Great movie. Are you kidding me? Love the cliche bullshit. It's fucking incredible. It's like AI-generated, like, 80s action thriller shit. Like, it just... And, and the best part is, is once the story gets going, none of the stuff about his ex-wife and his kid and all that bullshit, like, none of it matters. <laughs> And and because Don Johnson is just like, he's just going balls out with this character. Like, there's no subtlety to what he's doing, really. He's just constantly being, like, smarmy and violent. And there's no subtlety to the character. And so we don't need all this background shit. But it's just fucking great. Because everything, everything is there. Like, oh, he lives in a shitty apartment by the airport. And uh, it's like, oh, he's, he's cooking dinner. And all he's got to eat is... Uh, ramen noodles with a side of roaches and curdled milk and shit like that. And then all of that, like there's this whole scene where like <laughs> his fucking kids at school and it, the kid has like a drawing that he made. It's just like, I love you, daddy. And, and Johnson's <laughs> just like moping in his fucking sports car or whatever, or his Cadillac. Oh, oh go God. ahead. It's great. But none of, uh, none of it matters. Like, and then they're yeah. like, okay, so then a cop gets murdered and there's like a Nazi conspiracy and all this shit. And he, and he's trying to track down this cop killer. And that's the story. But like, right, yeah, in a lesser movie, it, the, uh, those textural details, which is really all mm-hmm. they amount to would become plot and they don't need to be like, no. you know, the Nazis would go after his fucking family so he could reconcile with his wife or some shit or this. Yeah. Or the Penelope Ann Miller character who he sleeps with would be like some central figure. And really, they're just they're just there to add some flavor to things and they don't fucking matter at all. And it, it's no, kind of it's just yeah, it's everything good. is it's just, everything it's, is untethered and unconnected <sighs> in this movie. And I think it really it speaks to a larger like the only thing that's organized in this movie is the white supremacist movie <laughs> movement in America. And that that's yeah. the takeaway of the film is essentially the only Listen, people I am who are so plotting fucking tired of people coming up to me and saying steve have you seen glass onion and then i say yeah 
And then, because they want to talk about how much they like it. And uh, I, the only thing that Ben Shapiro and I have in common, apparently, is we don't like Glass Onion. Uh, but it, the thing that drives me nuts is everyone's just like, oh my gosh, it's just like, it's so like about what's going on right now and blah, blah. Because, you know, there's this like Elon Musk stand-in character bullshit going on. No, fuck you. Glass Onion is not about now. Dead Bang, made in 1989, <laughs> is about right now. Oh, what's it about? Uh, fucking uh, cops collaborating with Nazis. Uh, fucking the feds are just like useless suits and total pussies. Uh, there is a, a, my favorite scene in the whole movie. It's, it's an all-timer. <laughs> There's a scene where Don Johnson, because he's a, he's a violent psychopath cop, uh, he, he basically has to get a psych evaluation. Otherwise, he's going to be taken off the case. And he goes in for the psych evaluation and uh, something I don't think any of us expected to happen happens where he just like laughs uncontrollably at the guy, the doctor. And he's like, I'm sorry, you, you just you look like Woody Allen, <laughs> <laughs> which is great because it's 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 like totally unexpected and it's a fucking funny gag. But then also like it hits so much harder, <clears throat> you know, in. 2022 2023 yeah this guy's like profoundly insulted by it too i'm like is that that much of an insult in in 1989 right the the inference in 89 is that he's like he's a nebbish nerd and now it's uh it's (laughs) comes it's a little meager but it's great because it 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 like almost adds even more flavor to the the don johnson character in this because it's like man he really is a dick like He's a dick, but like, yeah, I mean, he's great. also like he's he's a winner. Like Don Johnson is like he's he's a go get him all American boy, and his life has fallen apart. Yeah. Like again, a great casting of Don Johnson, this like jocular, good looking oh. guy. You know, he's 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 absolute. You know, American. You know, kind of archetype, and and to have him play this role the way he does and he's smiling and he's kind of charming and he's funny and he's awful and there's an obvious mm-hmm. reason why his wife left him and doesn't want him to interact with her kids but then he's like he but he is he's driven by one thing he's driven by the honor that this you know a, a Nazi murdered a police officer and he's gonna find mm-hmm. him and he's gonna track him across multiple states he's gonna like you know become he becomes this like interdepartmental thing because obviously his jurisdiction is LA he's gotta travel through various other states because he's he's Nazis are on the run and it's just it, it's you know okay so he's a he's a good cop he's chasing a real bad guy but then along the way he meets like another cop in another state who just has like a, a you know an old sign hanging up about you know like uh, you know like black people not welcome here it's like it's a sundown town and he's like I used to be able to hang it out front but the goddamn ACLU made me not you know but you know still applies and like and that's the police force they're working with uh it's yeah, this is just a really odd film to just exist, to just yeah. be mm-hmm. here that no one and that there's, no one talks like, about much. Yeah, in addition to like all those like little details that you kind of assume are like setups, and they're never setups. It's there's like two different times where the movie's like, "Yep, this is gonna be a buddy cop movie, all right." <laughs> right. Like the Bob Balaban, it's like. Oh, he's going to be like Bob Balban is going to get dragged around by this maniac across the country or something. It's like, no, nope. he just leaves the movie after five minutes. And then and the Bob Balaban, kind of the he doesn't thing. even pal around with him because it's like the entire Balaban sequence is probably like 10 minutes, right? And 
nine of those are Bob Balaban in a tracksuit running after Don Johnson to try and like keep up with him. <laughs> yeah, and he's just disgusted the same way him. though. They're like, oh, yeah. here we go. We're gonna have the square in his his fucking button up suit and the loose cannon, and they're gonna have to solve this crime together. And it's like, no, no, Forsyth nope, just fucking that. hates him and tries to get him fired. <laughs> See, yeah, everyone hates him, and it's really funny. I mean, in that uh, the the psychiatrist psych evaluation scene, uh, also is is this incredible moment where um, where our heroic Don Johnson openly quotes the Nazi antagonist in a scene earlier talking to him, you know, in, in just in conversation, because I guess it sounded good, uh, you know, to exert that his 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 will is very important. Don Johnson is real business. A psychiatrist <laughs> can't get in his way. Of course, Nazis also have a a will that they are pursuing. It's it's a really fascinating film and and the thing like adam is really you're right i mean it's it's a film that just breaks every kind of convention of what you would think of of like an 80s cop movie while bringing so much of it in like it's all it's all brought in and then it's just kind of tossed aside because they've got to keep moving it's god you know it's this is a really peculiar film and i i don't know if that happened on set, but again, for Don Johnson coming in, this was the first film he made, um, if I remember correctly, I think uh, there was some, I think there might have been like a writer's strike or something that like opened up a window of time where he was able to make this movie while Miami Vice, well the last season was either still in production or had maybe it had just wrapped, but um, you know, he was, he was already looking towards making movies and to pick and this is kind of what I like about Don Johnson, frankly, and I think it carries through even in his work. He's like a mainstay in like uh, S. Craig Zoller films, which vary in quality for me personally, but some of them are very good and they're certainly button pushing-y and kind of dipshitting in a lot of in a lot of ways they work. But like Don Johnson seems absolutely drawn towards material that's just kind of mean-spirited and doesn't toe the expected line. Even working like a, he was in Django, right? I mean, he was in, yep. you know, Tarantino movie. Like, he 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 seems to get good mileage out of kind of showing up for this material that doesn't really work the way you expect it to, and it's kind of a little meaner than you think maybe any studio executive would have wanted it to be. Like, Dead Bang does not seem like a movie that executives would have been like, oh, yeah, hell, we need to bring this out. Let's remind everyone of this awful, depressing stuff. Uh, but here it is. It's, you know, it's kind of survived, and it's, it holds up really well. Yeah. Don't sleep on Dead Bang. It's... Uh... Yeah, don't let don't the know. title I, under, underrated minor masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want to be reminded that John Frankenheimer knows how to make a fucking movie, then just pop this on and you'll be like, oh yeah, this this could be like so mm -hmm. shitty and generic, and instead you're like, no, no, this no. this is directed by a man who knows exactly what he's up to, and it fucking shows. Yep, exactly, exactly, and I I think it taps into the essence of Don Johnson which is, he is, you know, he's got these all-American boy looks, as we mentioned. He's, he's very, you know, conventionally attractive. However, he perpetually looks like he's 20 years older than he actually is. Like, I think he was, he was probably like 40 or so when Dead Bang was made, but he, every scene he looks like he's pushing like 55. I, it's just like, he's constantly sweating, he's disheveled. Uh, at, at one point he tackles a guy and just pukes on him, which is cool. 
It's one of the major through lines. Yeah, it's like his major act of like physical, like tough cop thing. And like he ends up by just barfing on it and like awful foul barf that is everyone retching at the crime scene. (laughs) Great detail. Don Johnson and Dead Bang is how I approach podcasting. Like, I, I got to get the job done, but I might smack the mute button to puke into a trash can at some point. We don't, we don't know. <laughs> Words to live by. <laughs> uh, well, so, I mean, we, we talked about this, this big uh, post-Miami Vice kind of breakthrough role for him uh, that maybe is kind of... Uh, been lost in, in the shuffle over the years, and then this kind of oddity that he did with Dennis Hopper. And oddly enough, the one Don Johnson action film that I think has survived to a degree um, over the years, thanks to television syndication, Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. See, I would have uh, said which, thanks to the exact opposite reason as Dead Bang, where you see the title of this and you're like, well, I got to watch that immediately. <laughs> what yeah, the fuck could that yeah that's be? also true. I mean, you do. You see the title, you're like, okay, yeah, I got to <laughs> know what that is. And then it's, it's Mickey Rourke and Don Johnson, and you're like, and this fucking name. And where Dead Bang constantly surprises you with the, uh, just the smart directing, the smart writing, uh, Harley Davidson, The Marlboro Man, one of the most confidently stupid films I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. And it will lean into every cliche imaginable, any chance that it gets. It's, it's honestly beautiful, the way that it, 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 it does it. I am so confused because I genuinely, I've never heard of this film before. This film is a complete lost classic, maybe, to me. Uh, like, <laughs> and it's absolutely like 1991 buddy action comedy like this is this is a movie I should have seen twenty five times growing up at least on TV, and I don't think I've ever seen it on TV ever. I don't like it. Just got for for me, it got completely apparently superseded, I guess, by like Lethal Weapon and Die Hard and a few other like those those made it through. I've never heard of this movie, and then no one I've never heard of anyone talking about this movie. And uh, maybe because it was a gag order by two major American corporations who were name checked in the the, the title. <laughs> it, the, the film literally opens with just a title card saying like, uh, "This movie's not in any way affiliated with certain companies that might have come to mind." Uh, you know, just ignore that. I don't know how legally that works, but uh, you know, they got away with it. Well, there's a third company as well. Or no, there's four, right? Because there's Virginia Slim and there's also Jack Daniels. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yeah, true. Yeah. But they, they did, at least didn't put those in the credits. It's like Albert Punin is his cyborg. Like everyone's named after a guitar. But like Rick and Backer are probably happy for the publicity. I don't think Marlboro needed anyone's help in 1991. <laughs> uh, oh, wait, I don't even know what character this is, but apparently there's a Jose Cuervo as well. <laughs> Jose is a deaf guy right i did i oh, did not yeah, i did not guy. catch that his surname was Cuervos, though why not uh yeah it's a movie named after major uh corporations that you might be fan of mostly vice uh vice squad stuff uh you know kind of yeah. like the atf bureau of corporations um so it's what a, what a what? movie directed by an australian by simon windsor uh who's uh <laughs> Big Crocodile, Dundee, various other Australian epics 
came in to do this, which I think might account for some of the fact that this movie feels just untethered from time and space. <laughs> like, it's just a very oh, yeah. odd movie. Oh, it's extremely strange. Like, there's zero sense of, of, of like, place at all like i i don't know where this movie takes and i think place. and i think it's set in like, like 1996 like the near yeah. future yeah, yeah. And it's, they, like it's in the future <laughs> in the future where nothing is changing except burbank is just a giant airport apparently yeah they, they complain like yeah. there's an opening radio like D, he's like mickey rourke's in a, a hotel room and there's like a dj talking and he's like talking as if like the world is gonna end it's like there's smog we got a smog alert pollution everybody stay indoors there's a new drug on the streets making everyone crazy you know oh it's gotta be like 1996 and then the rest of the movie is just like just hanging around just in the city yeah, I I don't know. This could go one of two ways. Either the script was like fucking 20 pages, just like the the broadest outline of some nonsense, or the script is like 200 pages with like <laughs> all of this fucking granular detail that just is not in the movie at all. Because everything in this movie mm -hmm. also feels like it's setting up for something. You've got this new designer drug that they stumble upon accidentally and it's just like this vast corporate conspiracy and this fucking future society and you're like oh this is all headed somewhere and again the characters are weirdos with weird names like you are we doing a mad max thing or something what the fuck is this and the answer is None of that fucking has anything to do with the no. plot whatsever. <laughs> and again, again, hiring I, like the I executives also, hiring a, a, an Australian suggests maybe they thought they were doing Mad Max. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. I and I love how they they can't even like the idea of giving everyone a stupid name. They can't commit to like what that means for because you know oh Jose Cuervo. Well, I guess he's Mexican. Uh, but you know, things like oh, Jack Daniel, well, what's, what's his thing? He doesn't have a thing. And he's then like Stud. Harley, that's his thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's just big John stud. Yeah. But then Harley Davidson, it's like, okay, well he, he rides a Harley Davidson. He has a Harley Davidson jacket on. So it'd be like, I don't know, like, yeah, you just, oh, he's, he named himself after the thing that he has and probably likes. And it's like, okay, well there's the Marlboro man. So he smokes right now. He, he also rides a motorcycle. Um, and he doesn't smoke, he quit, but <laughs> Harley Davidson actually smokes in like yeah. every scene. Mar Marlboro Man has a cigarette in his mouth every time, it's just not lit, which yeah, seems like lit, a, 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 a chilling insight into subsequent Bill Clinton trial, uh, you know, he did not inhale, mm. so, um... Very, yeah. very pointed stuff. Again, predicting the future. This is a Don Johnson curse, he's, he's somehow the oracle of, of the 90s, but, um... Yeah, it's it's such a and and it also this is another movie that just introduces all kinds of like plot elements and details and then just drops them just completely like yeah, the, the future shit drives me nuts. Why do you set your movie <laughs> if, just five years, just five years in the future, and to to what end? It, there's just because for funsies, it's fucking but there's, weird. There's even more basic things in this. Like, I mean, like ultimately, this is a movie about two lovable rogues who, to defend their beloved watering hole, accidentally get it completely trashed and have all their friends murdered. That's like fundamentally, that's what yeah. this film is about. It's about two guys who fuck up about as hard as you can fuck up uh, without By actually killing yourself. 
Murdered by Daniel Baldwin dressed like fucking Neo in the Matrix. Right. Yeah, getting, getting murdered by one of the lesser Baldwins. Like, it's no way, to, Neo. no way to go out. But yeah. even in that, he gets, like, all his friends murdered. It's one of the things It's like, um, Jack Daniel, as mentioned, is married to Vanessa Williams, who's Lulu, the, the club singer. And you would expect there to be some kind of arc. He's like, I can't do it, guys. Like, I've made a promise to my wife. And they obviously have a strained relationship, you know, when he's trying to do right by this woman who he loves loves and who loves him but she you know she worries about the fact that he he keeps prioritizing you know roughhousing and stuff um and you, you know so, and and he he ultimately he prioritizes roughhousing he ends up helping them on a bank heist and he gets killed and you would expect there to be some kind of a confrontation scene where this woman who was married to him comes and, and approaches marlborough man and harley davidson and tells them yeah she's harley mad. davidson banged her Right, yeah, there's also like that. They, you expect they all know some each kind other. of a thing. And and it, no, nothing. She's never seen again. No, nothing. Just couldn't be bothered. Uh, Tom oh. Sizemore's evil bank executive pretty much just hangs out in an office. Like, he never goes outside at all. I think he only mm. appears in one location pretty much in the entire film. Like, he was flown in elsewhere. And Tia Carrera is his, his assistant who also has almost nothing to do. The, the, like, it's really weird that the bad guy... like. In terms of how well plotted this film is, okay, one of the key elements of this film is that uh, Don Johnson's character, Marlboro Man, is like a crack shot. He is exceptionally good at firing a gun and hitting, like, he shoots a guy's belt off. He shoots the guns out of people's hands. The bad guys in this movie all wear full-body, bulletproof jackets, except for their heads. Their heads are just out in the open and Don Johnson can't figure out what to do about this. No, can't do it. <laughs> I don't, it's, it's it seems sad. like it takes him about six gunfights to realize that these ridiculous hefty bag jackets are in fact bulletproof. Even though. Right, yeah, they just keep shooting <laughs> oh, them yeah. in, in the chest and then right at the end after like fighting these guys like five or six times and they've killed everyone they know, he's like, tells Harley Davidson, like, aim for the head. I was like, yeah, you think? Maybe you should have done that the very yeah. first time because they don't move. Especially, they just yeah, the, stand the there. The last shootout, Jesus. Yeah, they, they just stand there and they're shooting. And, and, and the last shootout that they do, it drags on forever. Just back and <laughs> forth of them like, oh, boy, we, I keep shooting them, but nothing's happening. What's going on? <laughs> it just goes on and on. Come on, man. You haven't figured this out yet? And, then, and there's, this is weird, there's this weird, like, racist, pseudo-racist thing where the helicopter pilot they talk to later on is like, yeah, they're actually a bunch of dipshits. They're not that tough. They just wear this lightweight Japanese Kevlar. And it's like, well, it's, ja <laughs> it's Japanese Kevlar. Is that, like, does that mean anything? I have no idea. I don't know what this film's politics are. It's insane. Yeah. It, it, it's like, that's it's... that factors into the finale somehow, too, where they're like, all right, time to actually dust off time. I'm Sizemore. We're going to figure out what the hell's going on in this movie. And it's like, no, you're not. And you, so you think like, okay, maybe they must have had a setup. You know, they called the cops. They're actually recording Tom Sizemore declaring his, his evil plan. It's like, no, apparently the helicopter driver pilot who dropped him off just decided... <laughs> That he would uh, swoop down and machine He's gun so the won over office. by their their devil mm. make hair attitude that he decides to like try and murder his former boss. It's it's yeah. a completely baffling conclusion and uh, to a baffling film, frankly. Like this is, I really like this movie, but it, it's like the sort of thing where you're like. 
boy, those guys that were a cannon really had their shit together. They fucking do how to <laughs> craft <laughs> <a> fucking- <laughs> Yeah, hundred. This this is absolutely like if you were to pull like any eighties action movie, a nineties action movie, and you can just like graph out the plot. And, you know, where people, where the characters would separate and reconnect and their, you know, antagonist, protagonist, you know, balancing all those elements. This movie doesn't manage any of that. It's all broken. It's all wrong. It's still very entertaining somehow. And yes. I mean, it really, it is sold off of it's the fact that firstly, Mickey Rourke is actually a bloody good film star. Like he always has been. He's, oh, he's great. You know, he's he's always been better than people would give him credit for he's not meant to be the way he is like the 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 hollywood marketing around you know uh mickey rooney or not mickey rooney mickey Rourke, very, <laughs> mickey different, rooney. very different dude famed uh, bare knuckle boxer mickey rooney <laughs> just, just imagine going, fucking mickey rooney as harley <laughs> Very different film. I would tune into it. But, you know, Rourke is fantastic. He just, he he sells it. Um, and just, you know, the, he just, Rourke can just stand in a scene and say nothing and just be absolutely charismatic. Oh, yeah. Don Johnson also works really well. He's got that, like, smirking, good-natured, roguish kind of thing. It really, it all plays really well. The whole film hangs off of their charisma. And I think it works really, really well everyone else in the movie they're not quite sure what they're for or how it fits together and it seems to be that like it felt it feels like in the doctoring of the script or the editing of it you know in the fixing of it up they just became so enamored with harley davidson and the marlboro man that they forgot everything else the film doesn't work like, i'll tell you what else they fucking got work. enamored with jack is the fact that they were allowed to shoot at this fucking airplane graveyard what the fuck? <laughs> one of my favorite my favorite things in this really movie is uh, they, they they act so plot wise uh our our two heroes are uh, they want to rob a bank to get a bunch of money to pay the rent for just for a couple of years for their favorite watering hole i feel like they aim low on that they you know it's like we need yeah, 2.5 like million years. three for three years you have to rob a bank every fucking three years like just rob more money if you're gonna do it in the first place but no they're, they're just gonna rob just the right amount and then pay it possibly rob it from the bank and then pay it back which seems like a terrible plan personally yeah. cash wise i think they track some of that i think the hotspot talks a little bit about how you know Bank bills have numbers on them and banks do actually write that shit down. But anyway, they accidentally, because they think they're robbing cash, they're actually robbing a drug. And it turns out that this bank has actually got a side business of, of run this t incredibly new drug that no one uses. No one in the film is on this drug, which is a very weird thing to have happen as well. Every 90s movie about an experimental drug is a scene where the person does the experimental drug. Not here. They don't give a shit. Uh, this, is, this is not a movie about that kind of stuff. Um, and it's it's just... Uh, God, it's, it's just... I don't understand how all this stuff works. It's... it's but, but yeah, okay. So my, my main point, to go back to that. Okay, so they steal this thing and then they want to sell the, the, the drugs they've stolen back to the bank. They realize that's their only way to make any money from this. They got to sell it back. And so they have a full phone call with them and just tell them, meet us at the plane, the plane graveyard. And it's like, oh, so we oh, just, yeah, that's the plane a place, graveyard. that's a known place that everyone knows to go. Uh, it's okay. right next to the bar at the, their favorite watering hole. These guys, like, their their whole space is like, uh, I don't know, two square miles, but then it's like, oh, it's Burbank, <laughs> but then it looks like it's the middle of Texas, uh, but then they go to Vegas at, at some point. It's fucking weird. And I don't know, this is the other thing I don't understand either about uh, just 
trying to comprehend the the time and place and and what's going on. So we we know that their watering hole is is next to the the plane graveyard, as previously mentioned. <laughs> but then in the beginning of the movie, they're at a different bar, and the whole thing is like uh, the Marlboro Man is he's like pool hustling. And he pool hustles some guy who probably has a stupid name. And then, uh, you know, the guy tries to knife him. Um, and then Mickey Rourke comes in. And it's, it's like this cool, like, it's almost like a roadhouse thing, essentially. Yeah. Uh, also, some soft racism. Because uh, when Mickey Rourke walks in, he goes, uh-oh, watch out, cowboy. You're surrounded by Indians. And everyone in there yeah, is this is Native like coded American. to be on a reservation or something. Yeah. So what the, the famed the Burbank reservation? Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm like, how the fuck are we in Burbank? I've been to Burbank. There's a fucking Ikea at a cheesecake factory. Steven is in fucking- the future. It's in the future. We and who a lot, a lot changed in a couple so of years. <laughs> it's so fucking weird. I mean, I'm, I'm the thing is, is everything I'm saying probably sounds like a criticism, and it is. But also, I fucking love this movie. This movie's awesome. So yeah, um, I, I think fundamentally, yeah. it it holds the movie back maybe from being like a classic in that like there's a certain amount point where you are ultimately faced with like why is this happening again? Like, what, what is this scene for? But it's very watchable. It's very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it, this, yeah. it works pretty I, well. Again, going back to my original point, it is confidently stupid. Con- because everything it does, it just, it, it const- it's just constantly moving forward. Because I'm like, why the fuck are we on a reservation? And the movie's like, no, no. Don't, pay no heed to that. I'm going to just keep <laughs> marching forward with my dumb bullshit. <laughs> Why do they have these names? Don't worry about that. It's just like, it's just strutting around, man. This is, this is fucking good. When people are like, oh, I like to watch uh, the Fast and Furious series because it's uh, dumb fun and, uh, but you know, well-made film. No, 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 fuck you. Just why aren't you watching Harley Davidson, the Marlboro Man? This is just total lunk cinema. This is fucking it right here. This is Apex Lunk Cinema. Yeah, Actually, Apex Lunk the- Cinema would probably be the Barbarian movie, but uh, <laughs> the casting <laughs> here. The casting here is what I think wins the day. I mean, everyone. Oh, is just, yeah. totally. Yeah. Oh, it's, Mickey, it's, again, Mickey Rourke is wonderful. And this is the only thing that fucks me up with this is like, I'm so used to seeing him as like looking like a fucking disgusting, like PS2 guy. Like he just says a weird, his face is mush now. <laughs> yeah. And, and to see him is like, oh, he's a handsome guy. <laughs> At what go point back to, did you to Mickey get Rourke attacked with a cheese grater? Yeah. Classic roar. You got that. Uh, but one he, thing I wonder, I do wonder about this. This film has a small role at the opening for Kelly, who, who everyone knows, of course, was in many episodes of Nash Bridges. Did did they meet here? Oh. Don Johnson isn't in the scene wow. with her. But you know, but hey, yeah, no. Uh, honestly, this is like from the when the cra- when the credits roll on this thing at the start. It's like I know that person. I know that person. I know that person. Mm-hmm. Guys, guys, it's just a who's who's of kind of like nineties genre nonsense. And, and uh, you got baby Giancarlo Esposito. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's 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 an interesting kind of a movie. It's. I, oh, again, I just I don't understand. How am I only seeing this for the first time now? This feels like the movie I should have been like, oh, you know what I haven't watched in ages? Fucking Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. And now <laughs> you I'm going to have to start like, doing that. See, you would think Vanessa mm. Williams was like the lead. She's very high up in the credits, but obviously that's just like a publicity grab because this is like 
Vanessa Williams before she was an actress at all. <laughs> and yeah. she's like by far the kind of the roughest performance of the movie. And basically the only reason she's there is to be like beautiful woman. So it's a hilarious joke that she's married to Big John Stud. It's like, yeah. <laughs> all right. Which is, oh. this is the kind of movie just talking about structuring of this movie. We talked about this this earlier. I think it's really funny. There's one scene where uh Don or where Mickey Rourke, I guess, gets gets thrown out of a window of the bar and lands in a soft top car. You know, so it's kind of like to clarify that if you jump out of that specific window, uh you will survive. You don't know that at the time. You just think it's something that happens. But no, later on, they all jump out that same window again to also land on a different <laughs> car. And so this is this is the level of planning. Like, the only thing... They don't care about the grand strokes of the plot or character motivation or cause and effect. Don't give a shit about that. But they will clarify the one window in the bar you can jump out of and just be fine. And That's the sort of important those are the detail. the only two times they, they jump from a tremendous height <laughs> into a uh, safe landing spot. Just you within that wrong. bar. Yeah. There, there's yeah. other moments, yeah. too, certainly. Just yeah. doing that bar. I mean, if you got a good one, use it more than once. Why not, right? Like I, another said. aspect of this that's so strange is that this is, like, definitively sold, even now, and I'm sure especially then, considering their respective careers, as, like, a Mickey Rourke movie. And it's not. It's a Don Johnson movie. Like every it's a Don fucking Johnson movie. Yeah, every yeah. piece of like character development and interesting dialogue is Don Johnson. It, it, the only romantic leads are, are the the female lead is Don Johnson's romantic interest. It's totally it's the Barbara Man's movie, but it's seems <laughs> like Rourke seems like you're there. Seems like you're downplaying the beautiful hitchhiker that Harley Davidson picks up at the very end of the film and the <laughs> further adventures they might get into. And also he opens the movie with a beautiful naked woman in his hotel room. Uh, Harley Davidson oh, is yeah. a man of many, many mysterious uh, things. We don't know what any of them are. The film doesn't see that it's important to tell us. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's fine. But you're right. Well, I think Don Johnson... Of, like the the infamous... Uh, Mickey Rourke on set uh, behavior could have just been like, well, he decided he didn't want to do anything. <laughs> it could be that, or maybe maybe they were aiming for the uh, the uh, like corporate franchise extended universe. They were gonna make all oh, the next one to be up against Mickey Guinness. Who knows? Like, just roll with us. <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah. So, uh, if you're listening right now. That's a mistake. You should be watching Harley Davidson, The Marlboro Man, uh, or Dead Bang, for that matter. Uh, or, you know, or, or any Don Johnson movie, really. It's time in, in your life for 2023 to finally reassess the career of Don Johnson. That's what you need to do. He is, he is a man who is greater than you believe him to be. And I want 2023, dear listeners, to be the year that you realize that. Uh, so... With that, I guess I guess we got to wrap things up. So See, we got to be uh, careful, Jack, Steve. We're going to get Don Johnson into trouble, by the way, because and now if people start thinking about him on Twitter, then they're going to be like, "Wait, Don Johnson like lived with a fourteen-year-old Melanie Griffith in the seventies or something?" That was yeah. the seven different well, rules. Oh. We got to keep the man <laughs> under the radar. Just to let him let him get to the yeah, end, the finish well, line. <laughs> and that that Herod experiment movie, the reason that he met Melanie Griffith was because uh, Melanie Griffith's mom was like one of his co-stars on that movie. Tip, so. To be fair, I believe uh, Rob Lowe is still working just fine. I mean, I think it's it's. Yeah, you but know. Twitter noticed and, and yelled at him a lot, and, you know, <laughs> which had major, major impact on his financial earning. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and I mean, he can be like, you know, she's she's 57 now. Like, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, yeah, there's that's not probably, a lot we can do about Don this. Imagine Don Johnson on Twitter. That's that's what he would do. I, he'd do I, with I a smile, and we all be like, "No yeah. way!" Yeah, no, he yeah. could sell it. He's Classic he's a Marvel rogue. Man. He's he's a devilish a devilish ne'er do well, and we love him for it. <laughs> I do like the idea of like just a Don Johnson revival. Like everyone just is like the first prestige television show was Nash Bridges. Like that's. That's the direction I want to head. Well, I mean, the Michael Mann boat really lifted up the whole, like, Miami Vice, a TV show has come up, I think, as people have discovered the movie as well, you know, they're kind of mm-hmm. like, because, and, and to be fair, you go back and you watch Miami Vice, the TV show, and it's, it's a hell of a lot better than TV was supposed to be back then, to the most part. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, you know, maybe we do that too. Why not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, yeah, Jack, what are you what are you putting over this week? You know, that's a great question, because honestly, I don't remember what I put over the last time. Uh, you know, I feel like the best movie I've watched that we didn't just discuss on this very episode, because uh, this this whole thing came about for me just deciding I was just going to watch Dead Bang over Christmas to piss my in-laws off, because that's, that's the kind of person I am. Uh, oh, you know- that's real Don Johnson behavior. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I just I wish I had the grin. I just I can't swing it. But uh, you know, I, I'm going to put over an old uh, another movie from an old old master, kind of like John Frankenheimer taking the reins on Dead Bang. Uh, it came out this year, Dead for Dead for a Dollar. Uh, written well, mm. part written and directed by Walter Hill, the, the great uh, director of Extreme Prejudice and Southern Comfort and Streets of Fire and The Driver producer of Alien, you know, some films you might have heard of, you know, uh, The Warriors, that one's kind of popular. Uh, ironically, his director's cut kind of fucked it up, but they fixed it back again. Um, you know, but Dead for a Dollar is, uh, is it brilliant? I, I don't know if it's a brilliant film, but if you want to watch a, a Western, if you want a film that's just like, this is a Western, Dead for a Dollar absolutely nails it on the head it's it's a very entertaining film stars christoph waltz and willem dafoe among others uh it's it's just like i kind of summed it up on twitter it's like it's not it's not the fanciest cut of meat but it is like seasoned and cooked perfectly it's exactly right so dead for a dollar it's i I, you know i think it, it came and went in a few cinemas i certainly didn't find it anywhere playing near me so i had to track it down later on it's probably on vod and stuff now but uh yeah well well worth a look if you are interested in um westerns and schemes and gunfights and uh you know all kinds of of this and that so watch that after you're done with dead bang myers what are you putting over this week uh, well, I don't know how much longer I can keep up this gamer god shtick. That would involve me actually playing many video games at all. But, uh, I got one more. Um, I, I've been, uh, my, my plan was to spend my, uh, break here, uh, playing The Witcher 3. And instead, I keep getting drawn back to, uh, Forza Horizon 5. Uh, I was just basically kind of using it to, to test out the, the computer I'm building and, uh, I gotta say, it's a lot of fucking fun. <laughs> it's, wow. uh, You're doing a lot of pre-COVID gaming right now. How do you feel about that? Witcher 3, fucking Forza Horizon, what's going on? I don't think that pre-COVID is, it's not that old, is it? <laughs> I, I think it is. Close enough. I think Close it's, I think it's like, a year, like a year 
and a half old, we'll say. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, I don't know, man. You built this big gamer PC. Uh, I, I'm, I want to see you push the limits. I want, I want to see really, uh, I don't know. What, what, I, what can you possibly put on there that would just like fucking melt the thing? Is there anything that your, your current machine can't handle? No, that's the, no, there's not. Uh, just not, not gamer game. god status. I uh, yeah, yeah, really the gaming sphere. The, I think the only thing I could use to melt this would be some sort of bizarre uh, computational softwares. Adam is going to boot up Elden Ring and it's just going to render the entire map for the whole thing at all mm-hmm. times. O- overground oh, okay. and underground. Everything. All at once. Yeah. Steve, uh, <laughs> Forza Horizon 5 release date 11-8-2021. This is not some no. outdated thing, you know. <laughs> 2023, man. Come on, get with it. Uh, all right, well, this week I'm putting over something. We've actually done an episode on it, and I think you should listen to the episode uh, because I, one of my favorites that we've done, it's a great movie, and that movie is Tough Guys Don't Dance. Uh, talked about it earlier. Fucking phenomenal. Uh, You've you've seen the meme clips, but the, the meme clips don't do it justice. Amazing, amazing movie. So go watch Tough Guys Don't Dance. Start your year off right. All right, gentlemen. With that, uh, if you enjoyed the show today and you're listening, thank you. Check out the description of this very episode, and you will see a link, and that link will take you to our Patreon. And there, you can give us money. And what a great way to start the year by giving your dear old podcast and pals a little bit of money. How does Adam Myros fund his uh, his gamer lifestyle? You know, he's got his gamer fuel drinks. He's got his gamer glasses. You got the gamer glasses, Myros? Filter. I don't that even know what light. that is, really. But no, he's I, I like liar. UV He's got him on right now. I need that UV light. Keeps me awake. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got he's got a specific glasses that filter out the good light <laughs> and only the bad stuff. Like it lets in. I right. need double but, blue light personally. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds that sounds nice um anyways you can you can throw us a couple bucks it'll help podcast is expensive we got to pay for hosting and and bullshit uh and then we will give you a gift and our gift to you will be a, a movie from my collection you donated any level on the patreon and i will send you a movie in the mail what an exciting way to start your year you're like oh i just got all these nice christmas presents january is so boring I don't get any presents in January. That's what you keep saying. And I'm saying, you know what? Give me a couple fucking dollars and I'll give you a present. Now, if you want to donate at a higher level, then you can, uh, you know, choose future content, which would be fun. You know, we little voting poll. I think we're going to do another one of those soon. Uh, of course, this, you also get uh, at any level, it opens up the uh, archives of Optimism Vaccine, a bunch of old written stuff we've done, old podcasts that you can only get on there. All kinds of special shit, uh, special episodes, new special episodes that we do, all kinds of fun things. And then if you donate at the highest level, you want to give us $25 because you are a little angel, you're a little cherub and we love you. You get to choose an episode. You get to dictate what we watch. The Adam Myros Hentai episode. When's it going to happen? It could happen now. All you have to do is give me $25 and it's going to happen. Myros is going to have to watch a bunch of hentai. And I'm excited for that. And Myros isn't excited for that. But I've spent literally half my life just finding things to just upset. Watching hentai. So, <laughs> just watch, well, if we don't, if watch, we don't I, watch hentai, how are we going to know what we're going to make you watch, Adam? That's 
yes yeah. research i've been training for this moment <laughs> <laughs> all right anyways yeah if you got uh questions comments death threats marriage proposals steve we've we still got to read off the patrons at the five dollar level and up by the way oh we have, we have sorry, Kovacs, Kropak, and CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. Thank you very much for your support. I'm sorry Steve has neglected to mention you. Thank you for your service. I mean, I, I've been talking for like an hour, and I mean, I, this hangover's not getting any better. I'm, I'm feeling real dead bang Don Johnson. I, I'm trying my best. So I apologize. Thank you for reading the names. Uh, if you want to tweet at us, at Optimism Vaccine on Twitter. Uh, if you want to cancel Don Johnson, he might be on Instagram. I don't think he's on Twitter currently. I know Mickey Rourke's on Instagram. So, um, Oh, you know, an, another hook, as we're talking about, I believe it was on the set maybe of the hotspot that Dakota Johnson was was born during that time, I think, which means mm. maybe maybe she was conceived around the time of dead bang. So, I mean, if you're if you're because wow. she's got she's got a lot of. A lot of a lot of the kids love Dakota Johnson, and why not? She's a very fine her. actress, made some very good films and some very bad ones too. But we won't talk about those. So you know, it that this piece of history here, frankly, in these mm -hmm. movies we're discussing. So so get your ass, yeah. sit your ass down, and 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 get educated. Exactly. Check out some conception. Why don't you? <laughs> just something. <laughs> just a metatextual uh, draw there. Well, I mean, I, I must say, Hotspot, a lot steamier, uh, more successfully steamy film than uh, Dakota Johnson's best-known works. Uh, Surprisingly not, not that difficult, but yes, yeah. true. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Dakota Johnson, your dad bangs better than you. It's it's not your fault. It's No. <laughs> All right, we'll be back next week.